you are being lied to by the media. Would you go back to Gaza? In a heartbeat. In an absolute heartbeat. Uh, my heart is in Gaza. Yeah, CNN pretty much admitted on air that as a condition to enter Gaza with the IDF, they have to give IDF all the material for review before publication. As a condition to enter Gaza under IDF escort, outlets have to submit all materials and footage to the Israeli military for review prior to publication. You are being lied to by the politicians. This is why IPAC poured millions into the American democratic system. Benjamin Netanyahu proudly boasts about controlling US laws and politicians. You cannot trust the media. You cannot trust the politicians. There is so much that people believe to be true, not because it is rooted in fact, but by the mere virtue of repetition. Goebbels had a point. Some things are said so many times on the media that they become talking points. So in this video, we're going to look at the academic evidence. We're going to look at the verified facts to destroy these talking points, to destroy these myths, to hopefully get people out of their apathy, to do their own research, verify every single thing that I'm saying so that you know what is happening as opposed to sitting on the sidelines, witnessing a genocide in silence. And that is our myth number one, that it is complicated. Not a complex issue. That's the big thing. It's super simple. There's one group that has enormous power. It's the most powerful country in the Middle East. It's backed by the United States. It acts on another population of people with total impunity and is never held accountable for anything. So there's no symmetry in the relationship. The media's obfuscation and the trillion dollar propaganda machine is at work because it most certainly is not complicated. There is nothing complicated to see a child die every 10 minutes and decide where you stand. Historically, the Israel-Palestine issue is one of the clearest in terms of who the oppressor is and who the oppressed is in world history. But what we're witnessing right now is a clear case of genocide. And they're intrinsically as a human being, when you see so many dead children, when you see so many people living their lives and having their heads blown off, as a human being, you're bound to feel empathy for them. Which is why the media deliberately tries and to confuse you, to break that circuit breaker in your mind, to make you think that somehow you need to stand with the people murdering those children rather than with the people who are dying. There is nothing complicated about watching over 12,000 people die, over watching close to 5,000 people die. There's nothing complicated when you see 37 premature babies dying in front of our eyes because the oxygen has been cut off to them. There is nothing complicated about 5,000 children being murdered and for you to ask yourself what side you should stand on. What you're seeing right now is one side that has been armed to the teeth by the colonial world powers pouring in billions of dollars in military aid and on the other side is a strip of land that is 25 miles long and 6 miles wide and has been called the world's largest open-air prison. It's akin to a concentration camp. This is not a war. It's not an army, a navy, an air force that Israel is fighting. It's 2 million people half of whom are children. Now imagine the callousness of people who are telling you that it's morally repugnant to call for a ceasefire. What is morally repugnant is what is happening in Gaza right now. And let's not call it a war because it most certainly is not. Let's call it what it is. It is ethnic cleansing. It is genocide. And an entire house of cards has been built on lies for you to somehow think that you should be on the side of the people committing the genocide. So let's look at all these myths. The first being that Hamas started the war on October 7th. 
post-Palestinians say, well, we're under terrorist attack for 35 years, therefore we have a right to carry out suicide bombs. Which is what they say. Do you accept this? Does anybody accept it? Nobody accepts it. All right, then how come everyone accepts the Israeli claim to be doing it, which is a much weaker claim? Because after all, there's no symmetry in the situation. They are the military occupiers. The colonized world powers called peace is the perpetuation of the colonized world order. It is the status quo. There was a great sign at a protest which said, peace is your word. Liberation is ours. It is the Indian sepoys in 1857, which in their mind were not being peaceful. It is Nat Turner who in their mind was not being peaceful. It is the Haitians who were not peaceful. It is the Black Lives Matter which were labeled as not being peaceful. You can have peace and be enslaved. Yes. So peace isn't the answer. No. Liberation is the answer. Yes, of course. Okay, then that's what you should talk about. Never peace. That's the white man's word. Peace. Liberation is our word. But you will want peace in the end. Yes, but you can't have peace until everybody is equal. The declaration of war did not happen on October 7th, 2023. The declaration of war happened on November 2nd, 1917, when Balfour declared that the Palestinians, who were 94% of the population, did not have any political rights in their own land. It started on November 29, 1947, when the United Nations said that most Palestinians are not even human beings because just Two years before that declaration, the United Nations in its own charter codified the right of self-determination for every single human being. But somehow, that humanity was not extended to the people of Palestine. Even among the Jews, the Zionists particularly, who were against anything that was to be done, if they couldn't have the whole of Palestine and everything handed to them on a silver plate so they wouldn't have to do anything. It couldn't be done. We had to take it in small doses. You can't move... Uh, five or six million people out of a country and fill it up with five or six million more and expect both sets of them to be pleased. The wars inflicted on Palestine are too many to list in this video. I would urge everybody watching to read Rashid Khalidi's book, A Hundred Years of Resistance, which chronicles every single violence done by the settler colonial state on the people of Palestine. But know for a fact the war did not start on October 7th. <laughs> Here's just a list of 10 massacres that you can read more about. There are hundreds more like this and there are hundreds more which are happening right now. It was on October 7th in 2009 when during Operation Cast Lead, Israel killed over 1,400 Palestinians. You can read more about that operation in Method and Madness by Norm Finkelstein where he talks about how the threat posed by Hamas's rockets and terror tunnels was misrepresented. Israel killed over 1,400 Palestinians and on Israel's side, there were only seven civilian casualties. Amnesty International in its report on Operation Castlet said that Israel needlessly killed civilians, it repeatedly targeted medical crews and ambulances, it deliberately stopped the access to ambulances of injured individuals. Pretty much Israel sealed off Gaza and it wasn't a war, it was more akin to shooting fish in a barrel. Amnesty International also found no evidence that any rockets were fired from civilian buildings or buildings while civilians were in there. There was no October 7th when on July 8, 2014, Israel launched Operation Protective Edge, killing over 2,000 Palestinians. And on the other side, six Israelis were killed. There is 
a fundamental asymmetry of violence that you can see year on year between Israel and Palestine. During Operation Protective Edge, Amnesty International said Research showed that there was failure to take necessary precautions to avoid excessive harm to civilians. Several of the attacks deliberately targeted civilians and landmark buildings. So I ask you, what is peace and what is violence and is it what they tell you it is? In 2021, the Human Rights Watch said Israel's continued subjugation and occupation of Palestine in certain instances amounts to the crimes against humanity of apartheid and persecution. Amnesty International calls what Israel is doing apartheid. Nelson Mandela's grandson says the Israeli apartheid is the worst form of apartheid he's ever witnessed. Now I ask you, is that violent or is that peaceful? Yasser Arafat is concerned. I explained to Mr. Sidney that we identify with the PLO because just like ourselves, they are fighting for the right of self-determination. South Africa calls what is happening in Israel apartheid. They literally have an apartheid wall. Palestinians are denied their political rights. They're subjugated, they're humiliated, they're insulted every single day. They're made to cross through military checkpoints. And this is what we are supposed to think is peaceful. They're roads that they cannot walk on. They're people who are not allowed to visit their parents' home. They're people who are not even allowed to walk on the land of their fathers and their mothers. And they're people who are forcibly evicted from their house even today. We saw it happening in Sheikh Jarrah in 2021. Jacob, you know this is not your house. Yeah. Yes, but if I go, you don't go back. So what's the point? You are stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. And life in Gaza is even worse. Gaza has faced an economic blockade from Israel for the last 17 years. All this combined with the fact that Israeli defense forces and settlers routinely, brutally murder Palestinians. And this somehow is sold to us as peace. Shooting a two-year-old child is peaceful. Finding a dead body on the street only to find out it's your brother is peaceful. Leaving a body to bleed to death is peaceful. Attacking a protest is peaceful. Beating up women praying in a mosque is peaceful. There are thousands and thousands of cases like this over the years. You cannot arbitrarily pick a point in history to tell the story from and devoid that point of all context, of all history to say the war started on October 7th. It most certainly did not. You cannot talk about October 7th without talking about the decades-long oppression that the people of Palestine have faced, the apartheid regime and the occupation of Palestine by Israel. And if this sounds incredulous to you coming from somebody like me, this is basically what the editorial of the Israeli newspaper, the Israel's newspaper of record, Herod said on October 8th, a day after October 7th, where they said what happened on October 7th on Netanyahu's policy of annexation and dispossession and embracing a foreign policy that openly ignored the existence and rights of Palestinians. And an op-ed in the newspaper two days later goes even further, calling out Israel for its siege on Gaza, calling out Israel for protecting settlers carrying out massacres, for Israel firing at innocent people, for Israel holding thousands of Palestinian prisoners. You cannot understand October 7th without understanding what is happening in Gaza for decades. And not to justify it, but to understand it, to understand that it is a response to the continued occupation, not a day of uncontrollable hate. 
Contextualizing what happened and being historically accurate does not make you a terrorist sympathizer. It makes you right. But somehow the entire media landscape has abdicated its responsibility for contextualizing the news. And they have reduced the 75 years of occupation, subjugation and denial of fundamental human rights or basic humanity to the people of Palestine to three words, which is our next talking point. Do you condemn Hamas? I condemn October 7th, but do you condemn October 6th? Do you condemn October 5th? Do you condemn October 4th and every single day going back a hundred years where the people of Palestine have been occupied, subjugated and violence has been used against them? I find the question a personal affront to the humanity and morality of every single individual who has asked this question. And it is only Muslims who are asked this question. Even people who are mourning the death of multiple family members are made to sit on these media channels and the first thing uttered out is do you condemn Hamas? If the question was that if you condemn the loss of lives at a music festival, it should be assumed that you do. Nobody would stand for innocent people dying. But that is not why this question is asked. This question is asked to prove which side you're on, whether you're on the side of this media propaganda machine or you're also a terrorist. My condemnations do not change based on the nationality or the religion of the people dying, but yours do. Where was the media coverage when during the Great March of Return, peaceful Palestinian protesters were mowed down over... 200 Palestinians were killed, over 36,000 Palestinians were injured. Where was the wall-to-wall media coverage then? If you need to know the color of the skin of the dead before deciding whether you want to extend any sympathy or empathy to them, you're not standing on the side of humanity. There is a malicious campaign to label every single pro-Palestinian voice as being a terrorist sympathizer, as being Hamas, as being anti-Semitic, to silence their voices. Good Morning Britain even asked a British member of parliament if her family knew anything about October 7th happening before October 7th just because they're Palestinians. It's the same as after 9-11, every single Muslim was supposed to know where Osama is. The US House of Representatives censured Rashida Tlaib, the only Palestinian-American in the U.S. House, whereas there were other members calling for a genocide, saying all Palestinians should be killed, but they were not censured at all. We are at 10,000 dead Palestinians. How many will be enough? But somehow when the voices on the other side are called, they're never made to condemn IDF. They're never made to condemn what Israel is doing right now. In fact, people from the IDF, people from the Israeli military, former officials who've committed massacres are given the pulpit to say anything that they want without being questioned or critically looking at what they're saying. By ensuring every single conversation begins with October 7th and do you condemn Hamas, the entire issue is framed where the war starts on October 7th and every single thing that Israel does is as a response to that. So the entire occupation, the entire context of what is happening is reduced to what Piers Morgan calls his moral dilemma that Israel has a right to defend itself. So it must bomb Gaza. So then the only question becomes, what's a legitimate response? What's a proportionate response? How many children can Israel proportionately kill? That's a terrible framing of what is happening today.
I struggle to think of what a proportionate response. Proportionality. 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 It strips what is happening of any context. It strips what is happening of any history whatsoever. And it never makes you question the fundamental assumptions in the discussion as to why what Israel is doing is being framed as a response and not what Hamas did is called a response. Why the narrative of self-defense is not questioned. Why the Israel's occupation of Palestine is not questioned at all. If Hamas has to be dismantled, because of what it did in October 7th, then the Israeli government has to be dismantled 10 times over. It is strategically done to begin every single conversation about what is happening with the condemnation of Hamas because that is straight out of Israel's playbook. And trust me, there is a playbook. It's called the Global Language Dictionary by the Israel Project. If you go through the playbook and you see what every single pro-Israeli commentator is saying on TV, you will see how they're going by the letter of this playbook. It teaches you to win trust by showing empathy to the other side, which is why pro-Israeli commentators begin by talking about the loss of Palestinian lives, but then go on a tirade of how Israel has a right to continue taking more innocent lives. It asks you to use principles but then blame everything on Hamas. It is Hamas why children are dying. It is Hamas who are holding the people of Palestine hostage. It is Hamas which is making Israel kill all these children. You can go through the playbook point by point and see what is being said on media and match the two. It asks you to promote the idea that it's complicated, to compare Israel to America, to humanize rockets, to talk about going to bomb shelters, to talk about Israel having a right to self-defense. It even has a glossary of terms people should use like militant Islam, them deliberately firing rockets into civilian areas. A lot of the language being used on mainstream news channels is verbatim on this book. It even has specific answers laid out. If you're wondering why far-right commentators in America are using the ideas of extremist jihad, it's because it's from this playbook. Israel has successfully made all of this about Hamas and that is the next myth, that this is about Hamas. Myth number four, that this is about Hamas. Most people talking about the issue do not even understand the basic politics or geography of the issue. There was somebody on Fox News even talking about how Pakistan has evicted close to 2 million Palestinians instead of Afghans. This is how little they know about the issue. Israel has disconnected the West Bank from the Gaza Strip and has pretty much occupied these territories. Pakistan kicked out 1.7 million seven Palestinians. Fateh Party controls the West Bank. The Fateh Party and Hamas are against each other. There's also been a history of armed conflict between the two. If this was true, that this was all just about Hamas, there would be peace in the West Bank, but there most certainly is not. Over the years, there's been a rapid increase in the settlements in the West Bank. This is how even children are treated in the West Bank. Just look at this video from November 6. This is a 12-year-old child being beaten. Just in the first six months of 2023, 591 attacks were committed by the settlers on the Palestinians in the West Bank. That's three per day. This is what we call peace. And since October 7th, we've seen a marked increase in violence on Palestinians in the West Bank. They've arrested 1,700 Palestinians, and this is how prisoners are being treated. And if this reminds you of Abu Gharib, it's because that was partially inspired by what Israel does to Palestinian prisoners. There's even a torture method named after that called the Palestinian chair. There's nothing short of an ethnic cleansing taking place in the West Bank right now. Again, an area where there is no Hamas.
Even the prominent Palestinian activist Ahed Tamimi was arrested in a raid at her house at night. Maybe the world would have cared about her if she was Ukrainian, like they did when they thought she was. There are thousands being killed in Gaza, there are thousands being arrested in the West Bank, and what is happening in the West Bank makes you question the idea of the innocent settler. Israel's National Security Minister, Ben Gavir, is literally handing out thousands of rifles to settlers to commit violence against Palestinians in the West Bank. Ben Gavir has said that he has purchased 10,000 assault rifles to give out to settlers. Not guns, not pistols, assault rifles. Remind me again what civilians need assault rifles. And when these settlers do commit violence and murder Palestinians in the West Bank, the law, the police, the courts are often on the side of the murderer rather than the victim. And the violence is there for everybody to see. There are hundreds and hundreds of videos. This is a 23-year-old with special needs being shot dead. This is a 65-year-old man being shot dead. Here is a girl being shot for her crime of looking out of the window. Over 10 villages have been completely displaced. So if anybody who thinks that this is all about Hamas, the three words which prove you otherwise. The West Bank. Which brings us to point number five. What even is Hamas? Israel would like you to believe that Hamas is a group of uncontrollable terrorist animals who are out to kill Jews. But then the question becomes... Why did Israel support Hamas? The Palestine Liberation Organization or the PLO with Yasser Arafat as the figurehead was largely a secular organization and for years they were seen as the representatives of the people of Palestine. It is Israel and Netanyahu who bolstered and supported Hamas against the PLO and the Fateh Party to fracture the Palestine movement. It's just an added advantage to Netanyahu that now he can use Hamas as the boogeyman to justify his war crimes. Hamas is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood that started as a charity called Mujma al-Islamiyah. And if you're genuinely interested in knowing more about Hamas specifically, there's a book called Political Thought and Practice Hamas by Khalid Hurub. It is only when the first intifada failed that Hamas gained popularity. The first intifada was a civilian resistance uprising against the occupiers. It was years of resistance which resulted or forced Israel on the table for the 1993 Oslo Accords. Hundreds of Palestinians died for it, and in exchange, the people of Palestine got nothing in Oslo. Uh, scholars like Edward Said and Rashid Khalidi even go as far as to suggest that Yasser Arafat backstabbed the people of Palestine by doing backroom dealings with Israel. Yasser Arafat would claim that he got something out of it. Despite Yasser Arafat officially recognizing the state of Israel, Israel even refused to acknowledge the occupation, let alone lay the foundation of a possibility of a Palestinian state in the future. The people of Palestine felt completely betrayed. This is why it resulted in the second intifada and the failure of the Camp David summit in 2000. If you want to read more about this specifically, you can read the book Preventing Palestine, uh, in which it's also said that Jimmy Carter told Obama to recognize the state of Israel. Uh, what's written in the book is, countering the one-state reality that Israel is imposing on itself and the Palestinian people. Had Israel negotiated in earnest, we might have seen a different reality. Except peace is made an impossibility between Israel and Palestine because of the United States of America. They stand by Israel and Israel knows that it can get away with anything and it does not need to concede even a crumb to the people of Palestine. Instead, 9-11 happened and the preceding war on terror. And global jihad became the central narrative of the world during the war on terror. And Hamas became a part of this global jihad narrative. 
Hamas was not born out of thin air. It was born out of Israel's complete refusal to allow for a Palestinian state. It was born out of Israel promoting Hamas against the PLO. It was born out of the failure of the peace process. It was born out of the experiences of the Intifadas and the realization by the Palestinian people that even an acknowledgement or crumbs of self-determination will only be extended to them through violence. As Norm Finkelstein would argue that non-violence only works when there is an audience for it. JFK said those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. And when you strip away all this reality and context and history, you come up with platitudes like myth number six about Hamas that Israel is promoting, that Hamas is ISIS. Like the Israeli playbook says, you have to talk about Americans in their own language. They don't understand Hamas, but they understand ISIS. So, Hamas is ISIS. And for this propaganda, reality does not matter. It does not matter that ISIS is a pan-Islamist movement, whereas Hamas is specific to Palestine. It does not even matter that ISIS considers Hamas as apostates. Anyone in the world who even understands the basic fundamentals of the differences between Shia Islam and Sunni Islam and the politics around it can realize how ridiculous it is for Israel to say that Hamas is funded by Iran but then to also say Hamas is ISIS. ISIS, which is a Sunni extremist group. Catchy hashtags are in stark contrast to the geopolitical realities. Hamas has no interest in carrying out attacks in anywhere other than Israel and Palestine. And there are also the inconvenient truths of this ISIS fighter praising Israel. This Iranian news story that claims a Mossad agent was working as an ISIS preacher and recruiter in Libya. And IDF itself acknowledging that it has armed rebel groups in Syria. Myth number seven, Israel tells you that Hamas cannot be trusted. It does not matter that as we speak, Israel is negotiating with Hamas. Yet they would like you to believe that Hamas cannot be trusted. If you go through Norm Finkelstein's work, it will show you that it is Israel who has broken the terms of ceasefires repeatedly. Even Jimmy Carter acknowledged that during 2004, it is Hamas who adhered to a ceasefire. On June 19, 2008, Israel and Hamas negotiated a ceasefire that was supposed to last for six months. But on November 4, 2008, Israel raided Gaza and killed six people. This is what led to Operation Cast Lead. But Israel killed over 1,400 Palestinians. There was no October 7th then. What justified what Israel did? They even dropped white phosphorus bombs in civilian areas, something that is against international humanitarian law. US President Jimmy Carter urged Israel to give the government of Hamas a chance. Norm Finkelstein argues that Israel never gave them a chance even. Israel's strategy is to constantly use military attacks and assaults to ensure that the government does not have any space to establish any governance or legitimacy. It is combined with the propaganda campaign which says that Hamas uses billions of dollars, whereas Israel provides no evidence of this money coming in. Finkelstein even compares Israel breaking ceasefire to what they did in the 1956 Sinai invasion. It says the objective then and now was to instigate a backlash that Israel could exploit as a pretext for full-blown assault. We need to call out the senselessness of the tautological argument presented by Israel. If Hamas was in our place they would destroy us so we must destroy them so that they never get in a place where they're able to destroy us you cannot commit a genocide based on fiction israel's argument is if they had the military might that we do they would also do the same so we're committing a genocide against them this argument makes no sense and you know who else used this argument the Nazis. The Nazis claimed that they were only protecting themselves against Jews who were looking to destroy Germany and its population. Yes, the Nazis also claimed self-defense.
the eight talking point is something that is often presented as evidence on social media to justify this fictional reality that Israel has created the Hamas charter i'm not somebody who supports or defends hamas so i have no qualms in saying that article 7 of the hamas 1988 charter did spread hatred against the jews and even if hamas argues that they were simply talking about Zionists, the language is pretty much clear, and that is not something that anybody can stand for. People should not be killed or targeted for their religious beliefs. It makes you question why Benjamin Netanyahu would support an organization that said this about the Jews. The PLO had recognized the state of Israel, but Benjamin Netanyahu chose to fund an organization that was asking for Jews to be killed. just to make a palestinian state impossible this should make everybody who thinks that this is a religious war or a war against anti-semitism question their beliefs this is a colonial settler project the myth here however is that this is still the hamas charter in 2017 hamas changed its charter to clearly say that their war and their struggle is not against the jews and their conflict is not with the jews you can read the entire hamas charter on middle east monitor to make your own judgment hamas even recognizes israel and calls for the acceptance of the global consensus of the 1967 border you know when people tell you that middle east is an impossible situation to solve it's not there is a global consensus on the 1967 borders the only thing that makes it impossible is the united states of america An acknowledgement of Israel and an acknowledgement of a two-state solution could have been the bedrock of a future peace process, but none of that was forthcoming from Israel. In Method and Madness, Norm Finkelstein writes: From the mid 1990s onward, Hamas rarely, if at all, adhered to its notoriously anti-Semitic charter, and now lo- no longer cites or refers to it. Since 2005, Gaza is under siege and in complete economic blockade from Israel for electing Hamas allegedly. This is a form of collective punishment that is against international humanitarian law, and this is also an argument presented by Israel today to justify its indiscriminate bombing of Gaza. Which brings us to myth number nine: that all the people of Gaza are responsible for Hamas. Not only is it not true, what Israel is doing today tantamounts to collective punishment. Even the notion that every child in Gaza should die because Hamas was voted in is equally ridiculous. Yes, you might find instances of hateful rhetoric being uttered by people of Hamas. You might find equally hateful rhetoric by Israeli ministers and people in the IDF. Let's set those aside and look at the reality. Alors, excusez-moi, est-ce que pour vous, est-ce que pour Hamas got elected in 2006. That was 17 years ago. Half the population of Gaza is under the age of 18. They were not even born when Hamas was elected in. and most likely most of the remaining 50% were not of the age to vote in the 2006 elections. Hamas did not win a majority vote. They got 44.45% with the Fatah party getting 40 1.43% of the vote. An overwhelming majority of the people in Gaza alive today did not vote for Hamas in the 2006 elections and even if they did what Israel is doing tantamounts to collective punishment and is against all international humanitarian law. There is no other way to put it. Cutting off food, electricity, water and fuel to 2 million people is collective punishment. As is indiscriminately bombing civilian areas and the only justification they provide for us is myth number 10. The last one for this video. Uh this is a series and hopefully in every video I'm going to try and destroy 10 myths and talking points. For now, human shields.
on november 3rd israel confirmed that it bombed an ambulance and the justification they provided for that that there was a hamas commander inside and hamas uses ambulances at first they were telling us that hamas has this complicated tunnel system that it uses to transport uh, everything and move about but somehow they now also need ambulances even though there is a video inside the ambulance from the moments before the air strike happened and there are no hamas uh, members inside and even though israel provides no names no evidence it is allowed to bomb ambulances in hospitals and simply turn around and say hamas israel has even gone to the extent to go to the united nations and say united nations workers are hamas hospitals hamas ambulances hamas schools hamas at this point if benjamin netanyahu was to soil his pants he would probably blame hamas and just saying that word is somehow enough for israel to commit war crimes it can get away with killing civilians murdering children bombing schools something that is not done in any war by simply saying hamas In the 2009 Amnesty International report it said that they found no evidence of human shields being used. In 2014 Amnesty International again during Operation Protective Edge said there was no evidence for human shields being used. Here's also a video by Empire Files where Abby Martin debunks the human shields argument. Gaza has the most surveillance out of anywhere around the world but somehow Israel gives you no evidence for the human shield argument. But you know what there there is evidence for? Israel using human shields there is even a video from yesterday where Israel is using human shields there is a video from 2002 where Israel has using a Palestinian family as human shields and has occupied their home here is a report from Amnesty International where it says that IDF forced Palestinians to become human shields in their military operation it also details the cruel and inhuman treatment of detainees unlawful killings blocking of humanitarian aid cutting of water supplies torture and demolition of houses and all this is from 2002 the war did not start on October 7th Israel does not even hide the fact that it's using human shields. Here is a picture of a 13-year-old boy being tied to a military tank. And even if we are to take IDF's word for it, even though we never should do that, and accept that Hamas uses human shields as per international law, Israel is duty-bound to minimize civilian casualties, a responsibility they have completely abdicated and repeatedly failed at. But that is something we will discuss in the next video.